Rebecca, I'm talking to Johan Berger from the Institute of Security Studies from Pretoria about the decision of Cyril Ramaphosa to send the army into the Cape Flats. Um, first of all, can you give us sort of a bit of a background? How serious is the problem that they think they need to send in the army? The situation on the Cape Flats have been a burning point for many years now. And especially uh, with the activities of the various gangs that seem to own the place and they seem to be become a law unto themselves. And the police have increasingly lost the ability to deal with them. So I think we all expected the situation would escalate over time and it did. And especially now in this particular area on the Cape Flats, Flats uh, Philippi, and in particular Philippi East, became a huge burning point. And uh, over a single weekend, this past weekend, uh, 13 people were killed in at least three or four different incidents. And the community have long since lost their confidence in the ability of the police to deal with the problem and to uh, provide them with a kind of safety and security that we all are entitled to. So increasingly there were calls uh, for the deployment of the military and the police have been reluctant because obviously a slap in their face um, and it demonstrates that they've lost control. So the military are now uh, deployed. I think they started their deployment earlier today in not just Philippi, but also in other hot, so-called hotspot areas on, on the Cape Flats. So why did it escalate so much? Why did it spiral out of control? Is it the cost spent on the police? Was it that some people would say that the central government was starving the province? Um, why did it escalate so much? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's probably a number of, of factors that contributed this, but, uh, to a large extent, the police can be blamed. For example, if you look at Philippi, you, you had a situation where the, uh, station management completely collapsed. The station commander was on sick leave for a while, long time, few months now. And the second in command was almost invisible. Nobody knew where uh, he was, never, uh, never able to see him or talk to him. And, and so the rest of the police station, you can imagine, did not function as well as they should. There was no real leadership. And what is astonishing is that the command structure within the Western Cape were oblivious, apparently, to what was happening in Philippi. You know, once they were confronted with the, the, the seriousness of the situation, the public outcry, the media attention to all of this, the National Commission announced that a new station commander will be uh, appointed, specialized police units will be uh, deployed in the area, and, and, and so forth. So, so I think it, it was simply a situation of uh, extremely poor police management in, in the Western Cape. And, of course, we know that police management have been in disarray at the uh, provincial commissioner's level uh, to the extent that he himself was now removed from that position. But then, of course, we know that there are other contributing factors such as the increasing levels of unemployment, poverty, which causes all kinds of social problem situations in, in, in these areas. So there is an increasing reliance on illegal 
businesses such as drugs uh, and and the 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 selling of drugs and dealing in drugs and so it in turn also increases competition between the various uh, gangs and groups these guys operate with firearms so it is to be expected that when you have a volatile situation such as this increasing competition for limited uh, business opportunities then the chances are that people will be killed and injured in the process but the question should be asked in any democracy should the army be used for normal policing work no it should not in a democracy uh, and in a, an ideal situation you should never deploy the military but where the police loses control such as happened um, in many places on the cape flats then you are forced to deploy the military uh, because this is what the community are asking for the communities feel unsafe they feel threatened by the ongoing violence around them and they become innocent victims of the the gang rivalries in those areas so when the police are not able to provide that kind of safety and security then you have no other choice you have to uh, bring in the military you have to not only stabilize the situation as far as possible but you have to in a way reassure the public that government still cares about you that you are not being left all to yourself and to the threats and the dangers around you so this is a temporary arrangement it's 3 months it can be extended hopefully it will not be necessary it does a number of things first of all it does provide a visible presence from not just the military but a a state presence and it it brings some calm and reassurance to the local communities in the affected areas and it does also provide the police with the kind of space they now need to fix them uh, the, the problems that they experience to fix fix their leadership problems to get people into uh, the leadership positions that are capable of functioning in those positions so to reorganize the police to reestablish the police and to reassert the the authority so so this is what they should do with the space and of course they should deal with this with the criminal elements and they should um put everything they have in place in terms of uh, identifying those uh, criminal elements arresting them and bringing them before the courts and this is what the communities want this is what they have been calling for for a long time but either the police didn't listen or didn't care or were unable or perhaps all of these factors so so hopefully the presence of the military will only be uh, a temporary arrangement and it would have all the benefits that i have referred to now we could say a military or troops are meant to target to kill that's what they basically do how do you make sure there isn't an excess use of violence or that they actually police and not act as troops this is always the danger i've said before that there's all these benefits i refer to but there are also the dangers of deploying the military amongst the civilian population given the fact that they are trained to a different doctrine and i was told that they will even have heavy machine guns on some of the uh, armored vehicles yeah. um and, and those are very very dangerous things and it although the defense act provides for the training prior training of troops 
when they are deployed uh, to a situation uh, where they have to support the police. I doubt that this, hap- this has happened. I think they would uh, they would simply not have been time to to train them prior to this deployment. So the next best thing that should happen is that wherever the military are deployed, there should be a police officer, at least a police officer or more than one police officer that is deployed uh, with them. So where situations then arise, let's say, for example, they need to carry out an arrest. In terms of the defense fact, they are when they are deployed in support of the police, the military also are given all the powers and responsibilities of uh, of the police apart from the investigation of crime function. As part of the deployment, they more or less inherit all the other basic police functions. Now you can imagine if they are not properly trained in terms of how to execute those functions, it is a it is a dangerous situation all in itself. So hopefully when the police are deployed with them in, in instances where they are not trained, then the police can carry out the arrests under the protection of the military whenever that, that is necessary. So I'm I'm hoping that this is the part of the operational approach in those areas. Okay, Johan, you had no on the road, so I can't come off. So, um, just one last question. Is there examples of Western countries who've used the military in a similar fashion as they are doing now on the Cape Flats? Well, not too many that I can think of. Uh, I remember in, um, I think it was in Rio de Janeiro, um, that was in, I think, the 70s, way back in the 70s, when the um, when the police also lost complete control um, uh, as as far as a, a large number of uh, areas in in that city is concerned. Um, the criminals were were um, so well armed that they that they uh, were capable of of um, driving the police out of these areas, given the the uh, arms and the munition, the kinds of arms and munitions that they used. So the military also were then called in at that time, and, and um, they had to use um, heavy uh, weapons such as artillery to dislodge the, the criminal elements. So, uh, you know, we are not close to that kind of situation yet. But that's the one example I, I, I can recall. I, I, there may be other examples. I remember, for example, during the so-called Irish um, troubles in Northern Ireland with the Irish Republican Army, that the military were based there, uh, the British military, with the army there on a full-time basis. Um, and they also, um, as, as far as the, uh, uh, ordinary policing is concerned, they allowed the police to perform their policing role. They didn't take over the policing role, but they provided the kind of protection for the British, uh, for the Irish uh, police, Irish constabulary, to carry out uh, their their duties. So there was very, very close cooperation between them as well. Those are the only examples that I can think of uh, right now, um, mm-hmm. but there may be more. Oh, well, thank you, Johan Berger from the Institute of Security Studies from Pretoria for speaking to us.